Uh, just the other day, uh, I was sitting in our living room and I noticed that my uh, wife was strangely waving her hands and I heard her saying to me, she said, hey, have you been listening? And I thought to myself for a second, well, that's a weird way to start a conversation. Now, that's uh, not a true story, but it easily could be a true story. And that's because I'm, I'm not often the best listener uh, when it comes to my family. And my kids uh, sometimes take after their dad a little bit as well. We might say something to them uh, and they won't respond. And so we'll say it again and they won't respond. We'll say it a third time, they won't respond. And then all of a sudden we'll start shouting it and they'll look at us and say, mom and dad, why are you shouting? And the answer is because you weren't listening to us. Otherwise you won't listen. Well, I've been thinking about that a lot uh, lately because over the past 14 uh, plus days, uh, there have been protests all throughout Baltimore City uh, and really protests all throughout our country. And when you think about the nature of protest, protests erupt when people don't feel like they are being listened to. They feel like they need to, to take action because nobody is listening or responding to what they are saying. And so it's a reminder that it's important for us to listen. And in this cultural moment, it's important for us to listen to what is being said. But often listening isn't enough. It certainly is a first and very important step, uh, but listening isn't enough. It's important for us to respond to what is being said. And that's where this gets a little tricky in our cultural moment and anytime there has been a history of protest. It's tricky because there is no shortage of people who want to tell us how we ought to respond. Of course, responses come in party lines. There's a democratic way to respond, a Republican way to respond, maybe a progressive or conservative way to respond to protest. Uh, movements like Black Lives Matter and other movements similar to it, they have a narrative and a story and want you to respond according to their narrative and story. On the other side, you might think of the fraternal order of police and, and its own perspective on how we ought to respond to the nature of protest. There are so many voices that are out there and all of them want us to respond in a certain way to what's going on. But for people of faith like you and I, we are called to respond out of a different story. Because after all, our allegiance is ultimately not to a movement, not to a fraternity, not to a political party or an ideological perspective, our allegiance ultimately is to the kingdom of God that's been made real in Jesus Christ. And so that allegiance, that citizenship, that relationship should trump all others when it comes to responding to things that happen in our world. So that should cause us to, to sort of question, to sort of wonder, how do we respond to our world in the same way that our savior, Jesus Christ would? How do we live out uh, the values of God's kingdom in an age of protest? Well, as you look at Jesus Christ, you certainly see instances where Jesus definitely got angry 
about things like oppression and injustice. Look no further than Matthew 21, where Jesus enters the temple and begins to overturn the tables of the money changers because of the oppression and injustice that they represented in God's temple. And so just that instance alone is a picture of when Jesus was good and angry about all the right things. But what we also see about Jesus is that he was perfectly gentle in all ways as well. And that's the fruit of the spirit that I want us to look at, the fruit of the spirit that we come to this morning in this long discussion of the fruits of the spirit in Galatians chapter five. Scott Sauls uh, is another uh, fellow Presbyterian pastor, uh, just recently came out with a book that addresses this very thing. I, I quick ordered it, read through it really quickly this week. But the question he asks is this, how can a gentle answer be our secret weapon in an age of us against them? And that's the question that I want us to consider this morning as we look at this fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit called gentleness. So I'm going to read now from Galatians chapter 5, just that list of the fruits of the Spirit once again. And then I'm going to read us a short passage from Isaiah chapter 40. So listen to God's word. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And now skipping back in the Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 40, just verses nine to 11. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, be with us now as we consider your scripture. We're thankful for its power and its effect on our lives. And so I pray that as we reflect on your scripture now, that um, the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, this week, as we think about gentleness, uh, I want us to start with God. And that's been the place that we've started each week when it's come to the fruits of the Spirit. And uh, we're reminded what John Calvin often said, and that is that we can't ever truly understand ourselves until we first truly understand what has been revealed to us about our God. So I wanna start this morning by looking at the gentleness of God which is really all over the scriptures. As we come to the Old Testament, we often mischaracterize the Old Testament as picturing a God who is full of wrath and anger and jealousy and vengeance. 
And make no mistake, as you come to the Old Testament, as you read through it and look at all the the different stories, all those things really are there in the Old Testament. But there are also so many other moments that we often miss where God shows up providing gentle comfort to those whose lives have seemingly fallen apart. One of the greatest examples I think of this is found in the book of Genesis with uh, a woman and her son, and the woman's name is Hagar. Hagar is a foreigner. She is a servant. She is really a nobody in her culture. And Abraham and Sarah have used her to their own ends. And after they've used her for their own ends, uh, they cast her out of their fellowship. They actually cast her out of their culture and fellowship twice. But in both cases, God meets her and tenderly cares for her in her vulnerable moments. His gentleness meets her and her son in their most vulnerable of moments. Twice later on, uh, David writes about the gentleness of God. He writes about it in 2 Samuel, in Psalm 18. He says of God, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness has made me great. David reflecting on the character of God is struck by how gently God deals with him day in and day out. Then you come to the book of Isaiah, this passage that we just read. And uh, if you read about the book of Isaiah, you'll know that the context is that God's people are rebelling against God. They're continually walking away from his will and from his desires. And so Isaiah is given this job, this prophetic job to, to warn them of the justice of God, the power of God, and the fact that, that God will indeed punish wrongdoing. And yet in the middle of this book that demonstrates the power and the justice of God, in the very middle of it all, Isaiah writes these beautiful words in verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And so as we read the scriptures all throughout, we read that God gently deals with us, his children. And we also read about the motive. What what is the thing that informs God's gentle dealings with us? And it simply is this, he loves us. He gently deals with us because he loves us. This week we've uh, celebrated at City Church a new birth and we uh, are also looking forward to to several other new births that are gonna be happening uh, in our church this year. And anytime there's a new birth in our church, I always think about uh, the first time I became a father when my first child was born. And I can remember the day we were discharged from the hospital and, and, and feeling totally inadequate as a father uh, to be in charge of the life of something so young and precious and dependent. I felt incredibly ill-equipped to do what life had presented me. But I can remember when we were first putting our children in their car seats and loading that car seat into the car and how uh, gentle I felt I needed to be. And I've never been a very fast driver or a very reckless driver, but driving home that first day with my first child, I never drove more carefully. 
I never drove more gently because the cargo was so precious. I had my child that I deeply loved in that car with me. And I've thought about that this week as I've thought about God's gentleness. God deals with us gently because we are precious to him because he loves us. And of course, that love comes to its greatest uh, expression in the person of Jesus Christ, our savior. Of course, Jesus wasn't afraid to show his anger and his condemnation. Most often the recipients of that anger and that condemnation were the religious of Jesus's day. Those who had hijacked the truth of God uh, to serve their own ends and oppress others in the process. But the oppressed, the, uh, those that were burdened, those that had suffered injustice, those that had felt victimized by life, those that had felt victimized by their own personal sin, in each one of those instances, Jesus gently and overwhelmingly loved them. And so the question for you is, do you feel burdened by life? If so, Jesus says in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And so do you feel tossed about by life and the circumstances of life? Do you feel that that you carry this great weight on your shoulders of maybe past sins or past missteps or things that have been done to you, past hurts that weigh you down? If so, look to Jesus, the gentle savior. He is the good shepherd who gently leads his sheep on the path of life. He is our savior, victimized, crucified, so that your burden could be lifted from your shoulders. Our God is remarkably gentle with us. But not only is God gentle, but he also calls his people, those that follow him, those who are his disciples, he calls his children, his people, to embody the fruit of gentleness as well. Well, you might be asking yourself, what is gentleness? Well, I think gentleness is, is notoriously difficult to uh, define. We, we know it when we see it, but to try to put words to it is often difficult. And so one of the helpful ways to think about it is to think about, well, what is the opposite of gentleness? And I think as we think about it, I think we come to terms with the opposite of gentleness is things like harshness or being flippant. Uh, the opposite of gentleness is being abrasive or judgmental or unnecessarily condemnatory with our words, with our actions, and with our thoughts. And as we think about gentleness, we again return to Jesus. We see in Jesus anger, but anger that is in its best and most useful form. But when we think about ourselves, we often see a different kind of anger. We see an anger that is destructive, an anger that is harmful, in many ways, an anger that is the opposite of gentleness. And unfortunately, that is the anger that most characterizes you and I. 
Now, I think when we're given to this kind of anger, when we're given to this kind of harshness, uh, there's a couple things that happen. I think what happens is we forget the truth and we reduce. Those are the two things that happen when we are caught up in a lack of gentleness. We forget and we reduce. We forget that people are made in the image of God. And therefore, because they're made in the image of God, there is an inherent dignity to them, to all people. And of course, when we forget that, we tend to reduce. We reduce people to isms, and there's thousands of different isms that are out there. We reduce people to caricatures of themselves or caricatures that are painted by our culture. We might reduce them to just one moment in their lives. We might unfairly criticize or judge them. And when we do all these things, when we forget and we reduce, what we end up doing is we distance ourselves from others, often getting caught in the thought that we are somehow more enlightened or righteous or better than they are. C.S. Lewis, of course, in his uh, famous sermon, The Weight of Glory, uh, talks about all of this and our tendency to do all this. And one of the the most profound things that, that Lewis reminds us in this sermon, The Weight of Glory, is that there really are no ordinary people. There's no normal people out there. There are no average people out there. And, and he says that, that if we were to see other people in their true spiritual state of life, either in glory or in punishment, that we would be absolutely overcome and overwhelmed. And so because there are no average, ordinary, normal sort of people out there, we are given this weight of glory that should cause us to treat other people differently, to treat them with respect, to treat them with care, to treat them gently. But I think we're quick to forget all that. We're quick to forget that people are made in the image of God and therefore have the dignity of God in them. We forget that even the most reprehensible person you know, even that enemy that just drives you crazy, that reprehensible enemy that God has placed in your life, even that person bears the fingerprints of God. They are made in the image of God. And of course, if we truly recognize this, if we truly understand this, then this should cause us to tread lovingly and gently with all of the people that God places in our lives. But it's so easy to forget that, isn't it? It's so easy to forget. And when we do, we reduce others. You have to look no further in the, probably the most famous quote uh, that Martin Luther King Uh, shared in his I Have a Dream speech when he said, I look to a day when people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And if these protests have reminded us of anything, it's that that day still has not come, at least in its fullness. People are still reduced to the color of their skin. But of course, as we also know, this problem is bigger than just race. We apply these reductions to all sorts of other things as well. 
Uh, just this week, the Baltimore Sun um, put, uh, published an opinion piece that was written by a Baltimore County police officer. And of course, the national media picked up on this opinion piece as well. And it was a piece written by a Baltimore County police officer. And the title of it was An Open Letter to a Protester. If you haven't read it, go uh, find this online because in this opinion piece, the, in this letter, the Baltimore County officer laments that ev- everything that's going on in our world today. The officer is careful, very careful, to condemn the behavior of really bad police officers. But the officer also asks this of this fictitional protester that they are writing the letter to. The officer asks this, I would ask that you judge me not by my uniform, but by the content of my character. You see, friends, we forget all sorts of things. We reduce when we forget. We are harsh. We are harmful towards one another. We would rather scream our point than understand another person's perspective and another person's point. But Jesus calls us to something different. And so friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, we ought not get sucked into the polarized nature of our culture that is around us. We ought not reduce others to their affiliation, to their ethnicity, to their cause. We ought to resist the temptation to impute the worst of motives on others. We ought not to reduce them to the worst moment of their lives or the worst deed that they have committed. Instead, we ought to see them just as Jesus sees them. We ought to see others as glorious image bearers of God. We ought to see them as sheep who may have just simply lost their way. We ought to see them as either potential or actual vessels of the grace and the salvation of God. We ought to see them through the eyes of love. Because when you see them that way, when you see them through the eyes of love, then gentleness will naturally follow. The Apostle Paul was constantly pulling his hair out with the churches that he had planted, with the churches he had started. And uh, much of the letters that he writes back to these churches, which is the content of the New Testament, uh, much of these letters offer a lot of correction for each one of these churches. And yet in one of those letters, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes this. And listen to the affection of these words. He says this, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. What a beautiful picture. He says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become so very dear to us. See, the Apostle Paul was gentle with these churches because he desperately loved them. His gentleness with these people sprung from his great love for them. 
Later on in another one of these letters, the the letter to the church in Galatia, uh, it finishes in chapter six with some of these words. He writes this church. He says, brother, if anyone is caught in any transgression, so if anybody is caught in sin, then you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of harshness or in a spirit of condemnation or in a spirit of judgment. No, it doesn't say anything, any of those things. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, of gentleness. You see, gentleness is the fruit of God's spirit. You wanna see evidence of the presence of God's spirit in someone's life, then the fruit of gentleness characterizes who they are. Friends, doesn't it feel like we live in a world now where everyone just seems to be screaming at one another? If you have any question about that, just go on any old website and look on the blog comments on any article that is written and you'll see that things are pretty ugly. If you want more evidence of that, just spend a little bit of time, not a lot, but a little bit of time on Twitter or some other social media or some cable news network. And if you spend enough time on all these places, it will get you down. And so I think friends, now is the time. Now is the time for God's people to embody the spirit of gentleness in a world that feels like everyone is just screaming. To remind ourselves of the words of Proverbs 15, that a soft, gentle answer turns away wrath. To remind ourselves of another verse in Proverbs 15, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Jerry Bridges highlights the fact that gentleness is actually an active trait. We don't always think of it that way, but gentleness is an active trait that involves a stooping down in order to help someone. And so as you think about that, think of the shepherd. The scriptures use this illustration everywhere. Think of the shepherd stooping down to pick up and embrace a lost sheep. Think of our savior, Jesus Christ, in his ministry on earth, who consistently stooped down to pick up children and to put them in his lap while he was teaching. And friends, ultimately think about the gospel itself. The good news of Jesus Christ that tells us that Jesus, our savior, stooped down from the glories of heaven, becoming one of us in order to restore us to good. He gently leads us to life. His gentle answer as gentle savior turned away the wrath of God that you and I deserved. But friends know this, he calls us, those of us who have experienced this gift of salvation, those of us who are his followers, his disciples, he calls us to lead others to Jesus through the fruit of gentleness. I'll finish with one last quote from a commentator who said this, Only when we embody a bold gentleness will our outraged world begin to notice that we are distinctly his disciples. Let's pray.